This is Rohatsu Sashin 2020, the fifth full day, and the text that we've been studying during our intensive practice period is Gyoji, Continuous Practice by Zen Master Dogen, who writes, Because of the continuous practice of all Buddhas of past, present, and future, all Buddhas of past, present, and future are actualized. Because of continuous practice, actualized. Therefore, you aspire to practice. The effect is sometimes not apparent. Therefore, you may not see, hear, or know it. You should understand that although it is not revealed, it is not hidden. This refers to the truth that we cannot evaluate our practice. In fact, in evaluating our practice, we're separating from our practice. Other people, including your teachers, might be able to notice a change and say, oh, you're so much calmer than you used to be. You used to be so nervous and get easily upset by the things that you heard on the news. Or you have a lot more self-confidence now. You used to be hiding your light all the time and afraid to try anything new or even say anything at the breakfast table or in the meetings during session. Or you might be discover that you have tried something new and people congratulate you like learning to drive. For example, Or someone might say, you used to be quite angry and obsessed about things that happened in the past. But you seem to have let go of the troubles of the past and you seem so much lighter and happier now. Or you used to be beaten down by your inner critic all the time and now you seem to enjoy just being you. I could say these things to many of you. And it would be true. Completely true. Because the changes that occur in practice happen at a deep level, below the conscious mind, The effect is sometimes not apparent. You may not see, hear, or know it yourself. But even though it is not revealed to you, it is not hidden. It is not hidden from others or hidden from the world. The conscious mind does not like things to happen that it doesn't detect, that it can't detect. So that's why it's kind of desperate to evaluate. But just let evaluation go. Finish a period, let it go, and move on to the next one. You may be hoping for certain kinds of results from practice, like dramatic openings, or falling into the dark pit of emptiness, or 
feeling waves of love for all creation. I don't know what your mind has dreamed up as the hoped-for result from practice, but you know. It's in there in your mind. And when we read stories, like the stories in Yoji, then more ideas are added. Remember, these happened hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And of course, like all stories, they've been added to, embellished, or maybe even invented completely. So regard them as inspiration, but not something to use to criticize yourself. What has your mind dreamed up as the hope-for result of practice? The dramatic events in practice do happen at times, but good Zen masters will do what Maizumi Roshi did to me when I had my first opening. I went in and related it to him, very pleased. And he said, essentially he gave me a verbal pat on the back. And he said, oh, I'm glad you had that little experience. And he rang me out. What really matters are the deep, almost imperceptible shifts that bit by bit change your perception of yourself, of your life, and eventually of everything, time, suffering, death. So consider that. What would be time shifted into? Your conception of time, what would it be shifted into? Maybe you have some inkling of that from practice. What would be suffering transmitted into? Physical suffering, mental, emotional suffering, what would it be transformed into by practice? Maybe you have some inkling. And then the ultimate fear death. How would that be transformed? And as this shift happens bit by bit over time, eventually it shifts the entire foundation of your life and therefore the life of the world around you and maybe of the entire world, not revealed, not hidden. Not revealed, not hidden. At the start of this session, I used the analogy of launching ourselves together in the boat of session on a voyage into the unknown and assessing our equipment, preparing our equipment, and so on. It sounds dramatic, this voyage into the unknown, and it is, until you realize, really realize, that every moment is a voyage into the unknown. And I like what Dogen Zenji says about the boat. He says, a deluded person and an enlightened person at the same time use one boat and each is not obstructed. Each is not obstructed. 
a deluded person and an enlightened person at the same time use one boat, and each is not obstructed. Some of you might be thinking, well, that means that some of the people in this session are enlightened, and I'm the deluded one in the boat. No, it's not what this means. You are just that one boat. Your body, heart, and mind is that boat, which is the body, heart, and mind of delusion and enlightenment at the same time. Dogen Zenji says, Bodhisattva studying the way should know how Buddha nature produces the conditions for Buddha nature. Bodhisattva studying the way should know how Buddha nature produces the conditions for Buddha nature. Our practice uncovers what was already present what was present from before you were born, from before your parents were born, from before your great-great-great-great-great-grandparents were born, from before the human race emerged, from it. It has never been absent, only hidden. What we call Buddha nature calls to us from within and from without, here, 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 from within, let me out, let me out. It calls from without, pay attention, pay attention, I'm here. John Master Shen Yen says that it is non-duality calling us. It is non-duality calling us. We came from it, so we know it. And then our awareness of it fades as we learn to think and talk. It calls us to this very strange practice of sitting in stillness, physical stillness, and sitting in silence. When we sit very still, with the mind very quiet, it calls to us in the sound of the rain, in the blinking of our eyes, in the soft flow of our breath, in the long fading echo of the bell, the beginning of the sitting period, in the opening of blossoms, in the opening of your heart, in the fading of flowers and the falling of leaves. And therefore, therefore, in just that way, we find our way to practice. Because We don't want to end up simply having visited this world and ignored that call. As Mary Oliver says, we don't want to end up simply having visited this world. 
We want to live the fullest potential of this one precious life and learn how to walk into the complete unknown of the next moment so that when we breathe out our last breath, when our heart gives its last beat, we can walk through the door into the unknown of death, just as we have walked into every new moment with curiosity. Non-duality means there is only one thing. There is only one thing. It's not even a thing. It's only one. You can't call it a thing if it's only one. To call it a thing means you step out of it, but we have to talk about it, so we call it a thing, or we call it Buddha nature, or we call it the great mystery, or we call it God. It has many names and none apply. Non-duality means there is only one one thing happening, only one thing happening in innumerable different ways. And because it is just one thing, there is nothing to be afraid of. And because it is just one thing, there is nothing to be afraid of. To be afraid means we step outside of it and look at it and regard it as something to be afraid of. When we're inside, when we have those moments in Zazen, where we're inside, we know there's nothing to be afraid of. In the early morning sittings, I've been guiding everyone, including myself, through several stages of the four foundations of mindfulness, ending up with wide-open, all-inclusive awareness. In my experience, there are several stages our mind moves through during session, or sometimes even in one sitting session at home. We sit down and we recognize scattered mind. All we can hear in our mind are the many voices, a tangle of regrets and plans, anxieties and joys, decisions, dreams, memories, decisions. Should I do this or should I do that? We can get caught in that for hours, days, weeks. Should I do this or should I do that? When we pick a practice, or Master Shenyang calls it a method, when we pick a practice and firmly bring the mind to the present moment, and gradually into a simpler, more unified state, that state naturally emerges from our sustained, continuous practice. Instead of listening to station K-R-A-Z-Y, we make a conscious decision to listen to the rain. What a relief. We become more interested in the voice of the rain than the mess of voices in our head. We become so interested in the voice of the rain that we listen more and more carefully. We step aside 
from the ingrained habit of naming sounds and then the chain of thoughts that unfolds from that one word, that name. As we sink deeper into meditation, the mind becomes one-pointed. There is no more internal dialogue. The entirety of our awareness is filled with the sound of the raindrops. They reverberate within our body. No outside, no inside. Inside and outside disappear. The mind is like a perfect mirror, purified, bright, unblemished, attained to imperturbability. So let's try that mirror practice just for a few minutes together. <clears throat> together. So imagine that you are facing a bright mirror, crystal clear, precious mirror. And everything that arises is reflected in that mirror. Everything that arises in your mind is reflected in that mirror. Perfectly reflected. Can you hold your mind as the mirror? What do you notice when the mind is this perfect mirror reflecting without any addition, without any distortion, simply reflecting? This might be something to bring up in your groups tonight. Master Shen Yen says, the practice of Zen should progress in this sequence. Scattered mind, simple mind, one mind, and 
no mind. From the simple mind, the unified mind, we can leap to the state of no mind. I might say not that we can leap, but when conditions are right, unified mind, one-pointed mind, can open into no mind, or open into the one mind, which, because it is not personal, like the mirror, because it has no time, no location, no edges, no eyes, no ears, no nose, no tongue, no body, is experienced as no mind. Dogen Zenji tells us many interesting and unusual stories of people of continuous practice. Yunyan and Dao Wu both studied with Yao Shan. Together they made a vow to study single-mindedly for 40 years. Dongshan said, 20 years ago, I just wanted to be one piece, and I have been engaged in Zazen ever since. What does that mean, one piece? Spelled P-I-E-C-E. I just wanted to be one piece, one unified piece. You could also contemplate it as P-E-A-C-E. I just wanted to be one piece. I just wanted to be one at peace. Yunju was always served food by a heavenly being when he was living in his San Feng hut. During that time, Yunju wanted to study, went to study without Donshan, under whose teaching he settled the great matter of the way and then returned to his hut. When the heavenly being brought food to him again, the heavenly being looked for Yunju for three days but could not see him. Could not see him. Why? Just forsake name and gain forever and don't be bound by myriad conditions, says Dogen Zenji. Or we could say, don't be bound by heavenly beings who appear and serve you heavenly food. Do not waste the passing time. Put out the fire on top of your head. Do not wait for great enlightenment, as great enlightenment is the tea and rice of daily activity. Or another one of our chances, like a fool, like an idiot. In Gyoji, Dogen Zenji says, Polishing a mirror and breaking a mirror is not other than this practice. This comes from the story of the sixth ancestor, Hui Neng, who saw the poem written by the then head monk, Shen Sui, the poem that was a test of who was enlightened in the monastery. And the head monk wrote, the body is a Bodhi tree, the mind a mirror stand bright. Polish it endlessly and let no dust alight. And Wei Ning, who reportedly was illiterate, had someone read that poem to him. 
And then he said, no, that's not right. And he asked the person who read it to him to write his poem on the wall. His poem was, Bodhi originally has no tree. The bright mirror also has no stand. Fundamentally, there is not a single thing. Where could dust arise? Or where could dust alight? Is my favorite translation. Fundamentally, there is not a single thing. Where could dust alight? We have the chant in the morning service called the Precious Mirror Samadhi, which talks about this exactly. So as you sat with your mind as this mirror, things arise and the mirror reflects them perfectly. They change and the mirror reflects that perfectly. Nothing is added. Things disappear and the mirror reflects that perfectly. There is no trace left in the mirror. The mirror reflects everything, war, joy, smiles, tears, everything perfectly. There is no trace left in the mirror. Master Shen Yang says, the mirror is our true self. It is precious because no matter how long it has been hidden, forgotten, and covered with dust, it never loses its power of illumination and reflection. Often teachers talk about luminous mind, vast, illuminated mind. And mirrors are like that. They have a quality of of uh, luminosity. But really, it's the power of complete illumination without distortion. Some people spoke about wanting to work with fear during this session. So you could practice with this clear, bright mirror and see how does it reflect fear. Some people spoke about wanting to know themselves. So you could try sitting in front of this clear, bright mirror, and how does it, how does this ancient mirror reflect this self? And of course, we're talking about, for us, we're talking about times in practice. We're not talking about continuous practice. That's a a very late stage. But our hope is to maintain this continuous practice of this clear mind as our foundation. Or as Dan Brown, some of you practice with Dan Brown here, he calls it the view, holding that view is different from, entirely different from our usual view of the world. Holding luminous mind and beholding all of the things that arise. And then stepping beyond that to not holding it, being it. Not easy. So we watch, we watch, even if we can rest in that pure awareness for a while, we watch how 
the mind comes back in, or how we get diverted off, detoured off. Like when I bowed before this talk, I love to catch myself when that happens. When we when I bowed before this talk, I'm supposed to leave my zagu down. But of course, 250 times out of 251, I pick my zagu up and put it on my arm. So my mind, when I, when I made that mistake, quote, mistake, then immediately I looked at what, what happened to my mind. And it had diverted off into something that I thought about adding to the talk or clarifying in the talk. It just went off just a little, just enough so that I picked up the zagu and then I realized, nope, put it back down again. So we watch the mind doing these little detours off. Often, often happens to me in chanting. You know, I'll be chanting and chant is just coming out. I'm not consciously working on the chant. It's just coming out because it's been chanted for so many years. It's just in there and unfolds like the Tibetans say that your practice or your chant is on a moon disk, like a, a brilliant CD on its side, going round and round, and off of it peels the chant, right, by itself. And we just stay out of the way. But I, I find when I'm chanting, if I make a mistake, it's always because my mind deviated off of that just pure channel. Which reminds me of a joke I told my 10-year-old grandson, which he... Th- just laughed and laughed at. We tell each other jokes. It's a way we can connect over FaceTime. So the joke is, what kind of robot is always going off on side paths? And the answer is R2 detour. He just thought that was hilarious. (laughs) But you know it applies to us. (laughs) My mind took an R2 detour. Mm-hmm. Master Sheng Yin says, the mirror is our true self. It is precious because no matter how long it has been hidden, forgotten, and covered with dust, it never loses its power of illumination and reflection. It never loses its power of illumination and reflection. It has only been hidden so we often think of this story of, of the sixth ancestor of, oh, he, he won. He won the contest, right? Because the, then the fifth ancestor came to him at night and said, you know, people are going to be really mad if I acknowledge you as my true successor and not the head monk who's been practicing for so many years so hard. So you have to leave the monastery, go hide. So he transmitted to him secretly at midnight, and off the sixth ancestor went. But if you look at the history of Zen, the person who lost actually had a long history of descendants. A very important school in Zen. So Master Shen Ying talks about 
that both of these are part of our practice. So that's the sudden and gradual classic discussion. So this gradual practice of every morning I begin with the four foundations of mindfulness, sharpening the tools for the day, stacking up, settling the body, which for me settles dramatically during a period of body practice. I don't mean yoga. I mean, that settles some people, but I mean doing the first foundation of mindfulness. Often I wake up and the mind is, my body is uncomfortable because it's getting old and has various replacement parts and doesn't cooperate like it used to. And, you know, my mind might be grumpy about all of that, and so I sit down and I do the first foundation of mindfulness, and some days it's like taking an aspirin. It's just amazing. This warm wave comes down, and I feel really fine. And then the heart, and then the mind, and the mind ground, and the mind objects. So this is polishing the mirror. And then, and then, sometimes, the mirror breaks. Or as Master Shenying says, we step into no mind. So this work is necessary. So one analogy that I often use, it's like, because we used to live in L.A. and San Diego where there were earthquakes. Before there's an earthquake, there are many small shifts, you know, as the tectonic plates kind of grind against each other and shift and shift and shift. And then suddenly, a big shift. And to me, that's how our practice is. There are many small shifts, as I said earlier, which we don't even recognize often, but others do. And then, once in a while, there's a big shift. This morning, I encourage you to look beyond appearances, to ask yourself, what is behind everything? Listening for hours to the rain, dissolving all separation between you and the rain. You can experience a wonderful samadhi. But what is behind the sound of the rain? What about when the mirror is broken, the samadhi mirror is broken? Dogen Zinji says, do not wait for great enlightenment, as great enlightenment is the tea and rice of daily activities. To engage in continuous practice helps us let go of the idea that real practice only happens in the zendo, or even better, happens best during sashin. That's when I can really practice. To engage fully in tea, to engage fully in rice, to engage fully in sitting, and then, when the bell rings, to engage fully in standing up. Don't let your samadhi, your full attention, spill out of your lap when you stand up for kinhen. Don't let it drain into the floor as you walk. Keep your attention which has been sharpened and refined by these five days of meditation. Keep it clear and focused. 
And part of that is detecting when the mind takes detours and just gently but firmly bringing it back. Be continuously aware of the sensations on the bottoms of the feet. As you step, what part of the foot hits first? Is it your toes or your heel? Do you know? Be curious. What part hits the floor or touches the floor next and then next? How does the foot lift up? Is the texture of the floor different as you move into different parts of the room? Can you feel the warmth here in the zendo? Can you feel the warmth of the footprint of the person in front of you in Kinhin? Continuous practice. Please engage your whole body, heart, and mind in continuous practice. Thank you.